You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. All right, well, on today's episode, we are talking to Matt Allard, and Matt is with Dell Technologies, and uh, Matt is the director of Strategic Alliances, specifically focused, focused on media and entertainment. So, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us today. Great. Thanks for having me, Mark. I'm happy to be here. So, Matt, if you wouldn't mind, what I like to do is just uh, get to know a little bit about people's background, their stories, kind of the the path that they were on that led them into this wild world of of partnerships. Would you mind sharing yours? Yeah, I have kind of an odd background. Um, You know, I did start right out of school in the hospitality business. I worked for the Marriott and that didn't last long. I didn't like that business, but I knew I loved computing. And and I actually started in, you know, kind of a sales function. And in that first company, working in a technology company for sales, I realized I wanted to do, you know, product management, product marketing. And that's kind of where I aimed. And I eventually did that. I actually did that for about 20 years, uh, managing all sorts of products from, integrated hardware and software products to software only to cloud to technology services and support services. Um, you know, I've kind of managed a little bit of everything in my career as a product manager. And um, actually the job with Dell is really my first as a specific st- strategy and alliances manager, specifically managing uh, partnerships uh, with uh, you know outside companies, so it's definitely a leap, uh, and it's been a learning process for the two and a half years I've been here. But uh, I got to say, it's it's really fun. I, I think at this stage in my career, it, it leverages a lot of the expertise and knowledge I have, and um, and I I think uh, puts me in conversation with all these partners and building relationships with uh, with them in a way I've not not done before. It's quite fun. Yeah. So Matt, talk to us a little bit about the different types of partnerships that that you manage at Dell. I know that, you know, obviously there's a a wide span of of types of partnerships. A lot of them are sales uh, oriented where we're trying to get more revenue. Some are technology uh, to to put the the different technologies inside of other solutions. Others are more marketing and uh, promotion. Uh, branding related. Talk to us a little bit about the types of partnerships that you engage in. Yeah, so the area I work in Dell, so Dell's a huge company with lots of different uh, uh, technologies and solutions. I work in the workstation group, so high performance computing for professionals in the media and entertainment industry who make television, make movies, make games, that kind of stuff. Um, So big studios, broadcasters. So the partners, one of the primary areas of partnership is in the software vendors who serve that market. And so a lot of people know Adobe, Adobe's Creative Cloud, products like Photoshop, Premiere Pro, After Effects, those software products are used every single day to make television programs and movies and that sort of thing. So partnering with Adobe, because again, they have a huge set of customers, a huge potential audience for our workstation business, real important partnership. And so software partners, ISVs, we call them, are really central to to my efforts. Um, So that's one kind of partner. Um, Industry organizations are also really important to me. So things like uh, Society of Motion Picture and Television Engineers, SIMTI, or the International Game Developers Association, those kinds of partners 
give me, you know, kind of visibility and access to what's going on in the marketplace. Um, part of my role is to help guide the company's strategy for media and entertainment. So understanding where the industry is going through those kinds of organizations is, is really important. Um, I also have, uh, you know, what I would call partnerships or alliances with customers and influencers. You know, we're kind of in a time now where social media is really important. And so we work with um, a lot of customers who have visibility in the marketplace um, and can help build credibility for workstations, precision workstations as a way to get their job done. You know, our whole kind of value proposition is they're super high performant and they're super high reliability. So you can count on them to get your $100 million movie or $100 million game uh, development completed on time. Matt, I'd like for you to chat a little bit about uh, ecosystems and kind of just the concept of different ecosystems. We're definitely hearing this word a lot more in the last couple of years, but it's where you know, technologies, they're, they're not isolated. They're, there's so many different tentacles that we have within, uh, you know, within different technologies of how they work together. And that just opens up. It really necessitates partnerships because there's so many other players that come in to provide this final solution. Uh, just look at the, I ran Sprint TV uh, in, in my past life in partnerships. And we worked with a lot of the big studios and just, understanding how complicated that business is and how many different moving parts there are just from a technology perspective like you do you just kind of chat about you know this ecosystem mindset and the need to really work with a lot of different organizations a lot of different types of solutions providers so that your end customer truly gets a solution and not just a standalone piece product so I, I love that you use the word solution. That's kind of the alternate uh, title for my organization is uh, Solutions and Alliances because we are very much focused in that way. And I think this really goes back to you know, my function as a product manager before Dell, which you really have to find a solution to a problem to sell anything to any customer. Uh, you know, ultimately it has to be one that they're willing to shell out the money because they're going to save money, make new revenue and so forth. So you've got to have a real compelling reason. There's two levels to that solution thing for me uh, in terms of this role. One is solutions across Dell's multiple uh, product lines. So I, I work in the workstation division, but clearly monitors are really critical, especially in media and entertainment where you want highly accurate with wide color gamut monitors. We make those. <laughs> We also make big infrastructure for big studios to be able to share content and work collaboratively on movies and games. And so our whole server, networking, virtualization businesses, VMware, all this stuff contributes to make a solution of Dell components. So part of this role is really knitting together all of the Dell stuff, not just thinking in a stovepipe way about workstations. Now, from there, I know what you were suggesting is the bigger solution of market players. And that's where I start, you know, involving my partners. Uh, and so good example is, you know, if you talk about, um, you know, I've recently done a couple of customer oriented projects that had like three, maybe four different uh, partners involved. Um, Adobe was sort of the primary uh, creative software using After Effects, their visual effects software. Um, a lot of the work was done using Blackmagic design cameras and uh, I.O. equipment. So that's another partner. And, uh, and then uh, 
they used a bunch of Unreal Engine, Game Engine as part of this particular project. So there's a third partner and then Dell. So, so you tend to have this confluence of partners to build a solution. The reality is, it's the way my business works. Media and entertainment works by building unique pipelines to get stuff done. They aren't always built on, you know, one singular vendor's stuff. Um, and so for me, it's really important that when they bring Dell into the mix, they know it's just going to work. Um, you know, I always tell people that when you say show business, the second word is really important. It's still business. And so they're very concerned about performance, uptime, reliability, and nothing getting in the way of them getting their, their job done, done on time, on budget. Uh, so, so knowing that it just is going to work is a big part of that. Yeah, it seems that every, everything that we do, it, there's software components, hardware components, cloud components, all of these different sorts of technologies, and really no company is able to do it on their own anymore. So the yep. need to be able to partner effectively uh, is, it is an absolute necessity uh, for the future. Matt, I'd like to just kind of ask you to dig a little deeper into, um, you know, just kind of the, the precision workstations. Yeah. And just give us a little bit more of an appreciation for the, the evolution of technology, I guess, of what, what workstations were like 10 years ago and what workstations are like today. We were chatting a little bit earlier about uh, um, augmented reality, virtual reality, all right. of this wild special effects that's going into videos now. So many different companies are doing video production. We have three people uh, on staff at our company that, that do video production. So it's, yep. it's so powerful. But talk to us just kind of about the technology and the evolution of the workstation. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the things you should understand is that, you know, workstations for Dell are not just a sum of the Intel processors, the NVIDIA AMD GPUs. We really do our own workstation design. We manage the cooling. We manage the overall infrastructure. And we add software on top of that hardware to maximize the performance. And then, of course, we do all the stuff with our, our vendors to do certification of software uh, to ensure that it's reliable and actually that software is optimized. Um, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but you know, to me, what's changed like you know, 10 years ago, uh, we were really kind of in the early days of higher than HD resolution media for video, so 2K and 4K. Um, and that was a real feat. You needed a pretty big desk side machine to do that. Um, Today, in 2021, uh, we have mobile workstations that are tiny, under five pounds, that will run 6K and 8K raw material from a RED camera or from a Blackmagic design camera, Sony camera. Um, it's incredible what you can do, and it's very freeing. It, again, is changing the way people work on the road, on set, and obviously during the pandemic, people being able to work from home or from anywhere where they can be safe has, has been part of that. That doesn't mean we still don't sell a huge number of uh, tower workstations because you know, the, the use cases that we operate in are visual effects compositing. You know, what I mean by that is I'm not just dealing with one stream of 6K or 8K video, I'm dealing with 40 streams that are being combined for a single image output. That's what the visual effects folks do. You need to be able to get all those 40 streams in and out of memory very fast, be able to work on them with the CPU or the GPU to do that. So, and you know, I think, again, the reminder that these things 
run like you know race cars. They run in studios 24 seven uh, on deadline for the release of the movie. And so they got to run at that high performance rate uh, all day long. And building machines to do that is the real challenge. And that's what makes workstations different than, hey, we make tons of PCs for gaming, our Alienware brain for general work activities. But if you're you know, really counting your business on producing a creative result or doing architectural CAD on the next, uh, you know, the next big skyscraper, that's where workstations come in. And that's kind of what we, we do there. Now, I want to mention a little bit about the software on the top because, you know, listen, the Intel components, uh, you know, CPUs, the GPUs from NVIDIA and AMD, you know, th those are uh, commonly available. But what we do on top of our board design and overall case design is we layer in software to actually make the system run better. Um, so, uh, you know, the Dell optimizer software for precision actually uses some artificial intelligence to optimize the performance of the machine and of the software based on how you use it. Everybody uses the software a little bit different or they use it for a particular thing. We actually monitor that and tune the machine for that. So, you know, these are the kinds of things that we're adding in terms of adding value to the workstation beyond, you know, a sum of parts, if you will. Yeah. Matt, I'd like for you, whenever I think back to you know, to my older days and working with a lot of these different video production people going back, say, 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, it almost seemed, it seemed like it was dominated by Apple's, by the Macs, sure. by the iMacs. Yep. Uh, but man, sounds like Dell and others, but in particular, Dell just continuing to innovate. You guys have a great, great culture and a great history of innovation. Talk to us a little bit about you know, some of the capabilities and functionality that you have today that, that maybe a quote unquote old Mac guy from, from 10, 15, 20 years ago might not, uh, might not know. And, and I'm an old Mac guy from 10 to 15, 20 years ago. So I understand this, this argument. Um, you know, the first thing I start at here is, you know, if, you know, people love the way their Mac operates and I get it. And, you know, my first instinct is to not, you know, tell them that Windows is any better, but tell them it's an alternative and very viable. Um, I know with absolute confidence that we can produce a better performing machine for better value with much more flexibility. So, you know, for instance, um, the machine that's right in front of me, I, I really can't show you because it won't show up with my background, uh, is our Precision 5750. Uh, this is a thin and light, 17-inch um, mobile workstation, but it actually fits in my 15-inch bag. It's uh, it's basically all screen, no bezels or anything, uh, and it will outperform uh, any Mac uh, Pro um, with the uh, RTX 3000 card. It also has a touchscreen. Apple won't do that. Uh, that touchscreen becomes kind of addictive for our users. They think I might not need that, but uh, then then they're running on it. It has Thunderbolt. A lot of people associate Thunderbolt with Macs, but PCs have Thunderbolt. In fact, this machine has full two channels of Thunderbolt. So that's two times 40 gigabits a second. It's huge throughput for running you know, high resolution files through it. It has a beautiful screen uh, with 100% uh, Adobe RGB coverage. So it's, uh, you know, you can, what you see is what you get is still a concept that matters uh, when, you're, when you're doing work. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, uh, you know, uh, metal chassis are really uh, finely designed. So I think we hold up performance, reliability, um, 
and price. I think all of those things uh, are, are awesome, uh, you know, in terms of what you do. And then I just say, you know, from a support standpoint, especially with precision, you know, we offer commercial support programs where uh, if something goes wrong, um, we have play arrangements where within 24 hours, somebody would be at your door <laughs> to repair it, replace parts and so forth. Uh, you know, at this point, I'm not sure I really want to go and stand in line at an Apple store. I amen to that. I was going to say I was I was sold about five minutes ago. Our our next machine, <laughs> it's going to be Adele. I'm ready. All right, very well. Thank you. <laughs> I am ready, uh, Matt. I wanted to ask you a little bit about business models. You know, I know business models. Man, just the world is running so fast right now. Uh, just with so much change, so much technology. It's amazing. I literally, we just got off of Zoom an hour ago with a gentleman from Germany. Uh, we're talking to folks all over the world all the time. Uh, the, the business climate is just so much different today than it seems of what it was even just a couple of years ago. But one of those pieces is the business model. Yeah. And, and how companies monetize with that. And it seems that, I mean, we're, we're big Adobe uh, clients. Absolutely. Yep. We couldn't exist without their software, <laughs> yeah. I don't think. Well, that's very common for sure. <laughs> and, you know, so Adobe, among tons and tons of other companies, have shifted and gone to subscription models, you know, talking right. specifically about changing uh, business models and, and how we work that way. Love to just pick your brain a little bit and, you know, based upon your career in product and, and yep. various pieces of, of the evolution that you've seen. In, in business models and how companies monetize their products and services, their, their solutions. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, uh, this has been a pretty central part of my, uh, my product management experience, especially I spent uh, eight years at Autodesk and was uh, part of that transition from, you know, permanent licensing to subscription licensing. And actually was pretty central in their effort. Uh, they had an enterprise offering uh, called TokenFlex was actually a consumption model, not a subscription model. Um, so, you know, uh, having been there for that transition, it really changes the way you have to operate um, as, a, as a technology provider. Um, and one of the things that I really benefited from was some training with the TSIA organization, uh, you know, their whole model for land, adopt, expand, renew when you're approaching a customer. When you're selling permanent licenses for software, for instance, you used to be able to sell a you know, cut of AutoCAD and forget about it. You, you made your money, you were done, you can come back to them next year to sell them a, a support program. Three years out, you probably sell them an upgrade. You know, It was a pretty passive approach. Once you start selling subscription, the subscription calculation absolutely requires you to drive adoption of the product, expand use of the product so you get the renewal. Uh, and so that model that TSIA uh, and others promote was very instructive. And in fact, you know, for our consumption model at Autodesk, um, we had specific programs um, and that was where I was doing technical services and support programs to drive adoption to find other opportunities in large corporations for other product usage you could do to ultimately expand your renewal, not just simply renew the deal as is. And I think that's pretty critical. And I'll say that this is a path that, uh, that Dell is clearly on. We've got uh, an effort to build more and more as a service as part of a project that was recently announced called Project Apex. 
Um, and, uh, and we already actually offer workstations as a service. Um, so, you know, this whole idea of being able to expand and contract your technology infrastructure on an OPEX basis based on the needs of the business really plays well in, uh, in media and entertainment markets because in entertainment markets, I always say those, those productions are like a circus sometimes. They come into town, the tent goes up, you do the, do the show, the tent goes down. And, and so there's an up and down scaling that happens. And I think the industry is trying to figure out you know, kind of what's the right level of owned equipment versus subscribed equipment or cloud access. And what's the financial equation that works? Um, I think it, it's one that we're going to see, you know, continued discovery in, and it's one that Dell is already participating in because we have, you know, all of the infrastructure from desktop to cloud. Um, we can play in that space across our customers. So, Matt, obviously, Dell is a massive, massive company, you say. and uh, there's probably no shortage of different companies, smaller companies that would love to partner in with Dell and have conversations with you. I'd yeah. love for you to just uh, chat for a couple minutes and, and speak to that small business technology founder that would love to have a conversation with Matt about a solution that he or she has and, mm -hmm. and what it's like to work with you know, what we call sumos, you know, those huge companies, those, those Dells of the world. Uh, what kind of advice would you would you hand to that founder as to what it's like working with the sumo? Here's some things you need to understand. Here's how to communicate with us. So uh, a couple of things that come straight off the uh, trade to mind. First is persistence. Um, I think even as Dell, um, you know, going to a major company as a, you know, I'm not an executive at Dell. I'm sort of a lower level guy effectively, but you know, you got to keep hammering away. Uh, don't take no as an answer right out of the gate. You know, just, uh, you know, trying to find that that avenue in is critical. Um, I think the folks that have been successful at approaching me, uh, I found, uh, you know, people have approached me over LinkedIn and generally have a, an idea of what might be interesting to me, what the value is to me. And I, I think this is pretty fundamental to managing alliances and partnerships is they have to get in my skin as a workstation alliances guy. Um, you know, I'm, I may be interested in hearing about, uh, you know, your business of putting monitors into Mac users. That's a good business for Dell, but I'm not the guy for that. I could make an introduction. Um, so you got to think about, you know, what's what I'm looking for uh, and and uh, put your, 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 your feet in my shoes and, uh, and have a pretty compelling pitch. Um, I think the other thing for people that are in big companies like Dell is, you know, I'm the only guy doing workstations in M&E. That's it, just me. And so, my time is such a critical resource. You got to have a pretty tight pitch and story to come to me. You know, if you can't tell me what the value is to me within two minutes, I'm probably going to tune out pretty quick. Um, again, I think these are pretty fundamental to any kind of uh, pitch or approach you make to for any business. Is you need to know what your value is. You need to know what your the person on the other side of the table is uh, is um, values and is going to be find interesting. And it's got to be a tight little story. Uh, I think being prescriptive is a good idea. Um, uh, you know, when you're when you're engaging with someone like me, uh, 
I'll just say I have lots of competition for a finite budget, <laughs> which I think most people think all oh, these big companies are so big, they have an infinite budget and I can just come and, and ask for a million dollars and it's going to be a piece of cake. That's not how it works at all. I'm able to do things on a, a small scale. The bigger the budget gets, the longer, slower things run. And so, you know, I think realizing that big companies, the individuals, the small, you know, the vertical spaces inside the company that you might be able to work with, they work with a budget, it's finite, and there is competition, fierce competition for attention for, for, for you know, my budget, my attention, my, uh, my cycles. And so, you know, I, it's beauty of the position as I do get some ability to pick and choose. Um, but I think that that has a lot of meaning of where's the value to Dell. Um, and then, uh, I, you know, I don't know if I can curse on this, this podcast, but sure you can. I, I kind of have a no assholes rule um, that, you know, I'm looking for someone who I can have a relationship with who I feel like is going to take my interests and I can take their interests and it can be a reciprocal arrangement. And I want something that can be durable and last long-term. So um, I really do look for people and entities that I feel like this is gonna work well and they're gonna they're gonna look out for me. They're gonna feel good about working uh, with me as I am working for them. It's it's really about the relationship, isn't it? I mean, it's <laughs> people working together. It's it's not Dell partnering with somebody else. It's, it's somebody yeah. partnering with Matt to help bring a solution or evaluate a solution for the market. It's really yeah, I think I think they, that there's so much that can get done based on the relationship and the value they put in the relationship and and kind of it's I know there's an overused analogy of the favor bank, but I have no issue with like putting all sorts of deposits in because at some point I'm, I'm, I figure I can make a drawing, and and that's been my my thought is the more I can bring value to my partners, so I, I guess. The way I'm saying to approach Dell is the way I try to approach my partners is what value can I bring to them? What are they? What is their strategy? What is their agenda in market? How can I serve their agenda? Because if I do that, then they're going to they're going to sign up for the programs that I present to them. They're going to do more social media through their organization. They'll extend my reach way beyond what I can do as as the guy looking after media and entertainment for Dell. Yeah. Matt, talk to us a little bit about, uh, man, I love technology, total technology junkie. It's amazing what's, what we see uh, out there as capabilities, solutions for companies today. But what are, what does the next five years look like? You know, whenever you look at your solutions in the, in the product development space, but uh, I love the word solutions also. But whenever you look at the solutions that are out there and where we're continuing to go in your space, what does the next five years look like from a technology evolution perspective and innovation? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I say the last 20 years were had a lot to do with acceleration of image resolution, you know, from standard definition was not that long ago, 20 years ago, but through high definition, 2K, 4K, 6K, 8K. And that's defined a lot of the performance needs of the equipment is this ever increasing number of pixels we were pushing around. And, and I think in 3D markets where you're doing gaming, it's increasing geometry of larger, you know, these immersive gaming experiences where they're open worlds and you can go anywhere. Building those things were simply not possible 20 years ago and deliverable on, a, you know, a gaming console or a PC. So I see that continuing uh, to continuing to grow, uh, continuing to expand, but not in resolution, 
but in uh, you know, the areas of high dynamic range imaging. So we can already capture high dynamic range with our phones, with our cameras, with you know, a, a, um, film camera, you know, digital film cameras and so forth. And it can be delivered at home you know, through the services like Amazon uh, Prime and Netflix, Apple, uh, Apple TV Plus and stuff. So you know, the fact that consumers can consume it and it, you really can see it. You know, the difference between 4K and 8K, most consumers probably can't see that. The difference between an SDR and an HDR image is really stunning. Uh, it's so much more realistic and that carries some more data. And so that's becoming more and more important. Um, I think the technology in my industry around virtual filmmaking. So kind of the more famous ones were like Lion King, the last Lion King movie was all basically the camera movements were all filmed with a physical camera in a sound set within a 3D environment. And, uh, and that whole area has been expanding using gaming technology, game engines, to do this kind of virtual filmmaking. Same with the Mandalorian series. Most of Mandalorian is shot on a set with virtual set extensions that are projected on a big LED screen. When the camera moves, the projection on the screens move in parallax with the camera. And that's a huge deal in terms of changing the way that production happens. You know, Historically, all that would happen as visual effects in post-production. You'd shoot on a green screen, we've seen that kind of stuff, and then you do all the visual effects taking out the green screen. Now you can actually shoot in camera with the effects on the screens. What that allows is really interesting, it gives huge control to the director and cinematographer during production, but it also means that the Mandalorian set can be created and recreated when you renew the season just by loading the set into, onto those screens. Um, that's really interesting. That's game changing. And then, you know, we're not done in terms of technologies. I've been last year, one of my last trips before the pandemic, I visited um, uh, Google's offices in, in the Los Angeles area. They do a lot of imaging uh, kind of experimentation and research and they're, they've got an active light field capture stage where you're actually not capturing images exactly, but the vector directions of light with a camera rig, it's crazy stuff. <laughs> it's really crazy and rendering it can be presented to, uh, for instance, uh, holographic displays. Now the amount of data in light field capture is huge, even bigger. Um, but all of a sudden now you're in you know, sort of full 3D capture, full uh, representations that uh, are pretty interesting. It's already being used in some cases for high-end visual effects movies for image capture, so for, for kind of character capture. Um, but that could become more and more prevalent. So there, there's kind of no end to this computationally intensive area of increasing visual fidelity for images. The only other area I'll mention that I think we're just starting to see is machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, this is absolutely huge. Uh, you're talking about enormous data sets and trying to derive inferences from those data sets. Um, it's already making its way into my partner's software. Adobe's actually branded that whole area of artificial intelligence and creative cloud, they call it Sensei. And it's doing things that were historically very manual and very difficult, and very time consuming to become automated, simple and easy kind of push button. And so, you know, all of my vendors are starting to use those techniques. And they're, they're things like uh, image recognition, character recognition, 
converting text to uh, or, uh, dialogue to text, automated editing based on that and a script, all, all sorts of stuff like that. So really amazing stuff in that area uh, being driven by the need for hardware acceleration of, of AI uh, and machine learning algorithms. And it seems that yeah, as more of those technologies you know, become proven out market ready and other products and companies look to leverage those again, more opportunities to, to partner. So we're going to be busy, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I think, uh, you know, it's been a remarkably good year for our workstation business. Um, despite the pandemic, there still is a, a need and thirst for local computing performance. And, you know, it's very clear that some of this is going to scale up to the cloud when needed, but uh, you know, there's still these kind of activities that need immediate responsiveness interactivity to actually see what you're doing and that that's where workstations tend to play yeah well matt thank you so much for your time it's been great chatting with you getting to know you and to learn about uh the cool partnerships that you're leading there at dell so continued success to you and uh man it'll be fun to to watch you continue to to run that uh, group thanks mark really great talking to you and i appreciate the opportunity partnernomics podcast is brought to you by partnernomics learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnernomics Podcast, visit Partnernomics.com.